Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Well, good morning. It is great to see each one of you here. Today we're beginning a new series of messages called Life Hacks. And the term Life Hack, it is, it is fairly new. And it was only added to the dictionary in 2011. So here's the dictionary definition of a life hack. It's a strategy or a technique adopted in order to manage one's time and daily activities in a more efficient way. And so let me give you an example of a life hack. I mean, some of you may already have stumbled on this, on life hacking websites and trying to save time. But here's some examples. If you like hard-boiled eggs and you like to have one... Uh, Daily, but it's 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 a chore to have to you know crack it open and it's messy and you sometimes don't always get the separation you want from the from the uh, the shell from the egg and so you can add a little baking soda and you can research this yourself and and find out how to do that so that the egg will just come out a lot easier. There's a helpful hack for you right there. Here's another one. If you're trying to clean off those like calcium deposits off your shower head, you can wrap a like a plastic bag with vinegar. And it will break up all the calcium deposits and you could, you can clean your shower without the effort, you know. It'd be nice if you could do this with the whole bathroom, right? Just kind of fill the, a bag, somehow wrap things up and fill the bathroom and it'll just clean it for you. Some of you are actually, you might think up these ideas of shortcuts. And so in my college dormitory, there were people on my, on my wing who were, I would say kind of life hackers. Uh, the fastest way to get to the parking lot from a dorm room where I went to school was the emergency exit. And so, now, it was against the rules to take the emergency exit because uh, an alarm would sound and they would threaten students with a $50 fine for the first offense. And so, well, some of the life hackers on our, on our wing, and I was the resident assistant, um, they hacked into the wiring system and they wired a switch into their dorm room so they could shut off the emergency exit alarm. <laughs> so I frequently would see people leaving out the emergency exit and there'd be no alarm. And I'm like, how did this happen? I'd go down to the end dorm or to the end of the hall myself and I'd push the door open and the alarm would sound. I'm like, what is wrong? And they enjoyed this cat and mouse game for quite a while until I caught them. <laughs> but they hacked that system. My college freshman roommate, actually, he was a life hacker. He still is a life hacker. And one, one time, about seven, eight years ago, uh, my wife and I were at the Coles, and we got out of the car and we dropped a cell phone and it went in the storm grate and just like was like, oh, great. What do we do with that? And and so we couldn't see it. It was dark. And so I thought, what would Juan do? That was the name of my college roommate. What would Juan do? WWJD. I would ask that. I often ask this question of what would he do in this situation? Because he's, he's kind of a life hacker and he figures things out. So I called him up and I said, I've, I've got this problem. I dropped the phone down this grate. And he's like, where are you at? I'll be right there. And so a few minutes go by and he pulls up in his car and, and he opens the door and it's nighttime and he steps out and he goes, he's got a, he's got a headlamp on, <laughs> lights everything up. And he, he gets this pole out of his car, and it's, he starts telescoping this pole. He, he had a telescoping pole. <laughs> and he, he sticks a tennis ball on the end of the telescoping pole, and then he wraps it in duct tape, and he's going to fish it out. And I was like, that's brilliant. He's going to do it. 
And uh, he looks around, and before he, he starts doing that, he sees there's a manhole with, like, another grate. And he just picks it up, he sets it aside, he climbs down the ladder, he walks through the system, I guess, and he finds the phone. And uh, he didn't get to use his, his, his life hack. So he, there was a manhole, so it saved him the time. But he's a life hacker. He, recently I called him and I asked him, ah, give me your tips on smoking meat, because my friend Juan, he, he makes an amazing pulled pork. And so... And I'm having a hard time learning how to smoke meat, but I'm really wanting to learn how to do this well. So he sent me this. He said, you've got to try this method. This is what he uses. It's called the snake charcoal method. You coil your coals around the... You don't need it. Basically, you, don't, you can smoke meat without owning a smoker. You coil your coals around the, uh, the rim like that. You put your wood chips in there, and then you just light one end. And it's just a slow method. So it's, it's going to burn that coal slowly over hours and hours and hours. And you can keep adding to that ring. But that's his way of, of you know, he life hacked the smoker. You know, electric smokers are, or even the other smokers are extremely expensive. He life hacked it. So some of these ideas are pretty funny. Like, here's a few more. If you're hungry and you're at work and, and you got your coffee but something's missing, you know, you can go put a, uh, some cookies out on the dash and cook them in the sun. This is, you can life hack that. Fresh cookies at work with your coffee. Uh, there's nothing that says cheap like this. Try, try this at, the, at, at your next party. Throw a party. Get it to get an iPhone speaker right there. You got you got paper towel roll. Put your iPhone in there. Get your solo cups on the end. You got a whole sound system going on. You could probably expand from that. <laughs> Here's another. Here's you know a way to keep your coffee warmer or longer, basically warm longer. Set an extra computer. Now I think the phrase you can find. There's just the lists for these go on and on. You can you can find your own life hacks. Try to speed up your life, but. I think the phrase life hack is a bit of an overstatement for this kind of advice. How to clean a showerhead is helpful, but it's not life-changing. What we really want to know is, are there ways to accomplish the most important aspects of our life? What's the the, the best way to approach that? Like, how do you resolve conflict? I want to know if there's a life hack. I want to know if there's something that that will make... A sense so that I don't make a, a, a more damage in this situation. How do I resolve conflict? Or, or how do I build a healthy relationship? One that endures. You want to know if there's, if there's a shortcut to that, if there's a life hack. Well, how do I just build a life and live a life that really matters? The word for these kinds of issues and knowing about how to address those things is, is wisdom. That's the Bible's idea of it's, it's the straightest path. So what really works in life? God's ways really work. Now, wisdom is not measured on an IQ test. That's something we would say is, you know, that's intelligence. IQ is intelligence. Wisdom is actually tested in real life. It's the ability to make the best decisions that build a good life. And wisdom itself comes from God, and it's God telling us how to crack the code of life, how to hack life. And spend less time just beating our head against the same walls, trying to do things the way we've always done them. And much of God's short sayings on on wisdom are found in the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. These are two Old Testament books that capture very, very helpful wisdom. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. We'll start with this, verses 5 and 6. 
It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You know, your understanding, my understanding, we have a natural way of looking at things, of doing things. You, you have, it, there's certain things that just make sense to you. And those are the, those are our ways of doing life. And we tend to just, we lean on our own understanding for how to solve problems, how to make a, a relationship work, how to resolve conflict. We lean on our own way of thinking. This says, in all your ways, rather than leaning on your own understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. So, a life hack is really, it's this. It's the straightest path to get from where you are right now to where you want to be. Because we tend to be people who wander. We don't tend to stay on the straightest path. Because of our own understanding, we wander our way through life, making often times really Poor choices that just result in, in pain. But God, He actually offers to make our path straight, to, to make it direct, to stop the wandering. And if we think, you know, we're smart enough, like this verse is saying, lean not on your own understanding. A lot of times we think, I'm, my understanding is pretty good. It's working out pretty well. But if we think that, if we think we're smart enough to figure life out on our own, then we just won't be interested in God's life hacks. We won't be interested in what the Bible has to say. Some of God's ways won't work fast enough for us. And we think, it's not working, it's not working. I'm trying, but it's not working. And I know some of you have felt that way. You're trying to do things God's way, and it's just not happening yet. Well, it's only been a few weeks. It's only been a few months. Keep going. But sometimes because it's not fast enough, we give up too soon and we, we don't endure. Or some of the things that we discover in God's Word, some of the life hacks He's laid out, they're just hard to do. They're very difficult to do. They challenge us and we will find every excuse under the sun than to have to do what He says. And so we, again, we, we decide, no, I'll lean on my own understanding. Or, or some of God's life hacks will never even be read by us because, again, we think we know enough. So we won't dig deeper. We won't get into it for ourselves. So before the, the wisdom in these two Old Testament books will really benefit us, we first need to decide this. We need to decide to take God seriously. And that's what we've titled this morning's message, Take God Seriously. That's the first life hack. Now, how serious should you take God? Well, you need to take God at the, at the fear level. Serious. This is this is Proverbs based out of Proverbs nine, uh, verse ten. It says this: the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This idea of fearing God, it really is. Another way you can say fearing God is: I take God seriously. I take Him seriously. I take His word seriously. I'm not playing games with God. I believe He's real, and I take Him seriously. I have a healthy fear. Of God. Now, fear doesn't often sound like a good thing, but fear actually can be quite helpful in life. Think about how helpful fear is at points when you need to be warned of something. Um, well, and I, and I want to lay these things out. The first thing is, fear tells us what is real. This is the helpful side of fear. We see fear as a bad thing, but actually fear is a gift given to us by God for our protection, for our safety, for our well-being. 
I was recently with some friends who, whose house was broken into. And we went over to their house. They invited us over after it happened. And they lost a bunch of things and, and they had been stolen. And we went over to their house. They said, come over for a barbecue. We're going to cook up some food. And we, we just would love to just play games and have coffee and try to get our minds off this situation. So we went over there and we did that with them. And they, they actually were really doing well about the whole situation. And they just said, you know, there's nothing we could do at this point. The police were looking, you know, but they were thinking, we're just going to have to trust God at this point and, and pray and, and try to le- learn all we can from this experience. But I was pretty, like, you know, you get in those situations, you're bothered. You're like, we've got to do something about this. And they're like, no, we need to, we're going to, you know, we're going to do what we can do, but we're going to pray about it and leave it in God's hands. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's right. You should do that. But th- with injustices like that, you want to do something. We left their house and we had to go to the store because we had a coupon that was about to expire that day and a gift card. And so we were trying to get that double dip, you know. And uh, and the day was ending and so we head off to Target and my new wife knew what she wanted. My, my, my wife and my daughter and I headed up to the front of the store and... We saw an, a family from our church walking out of Target. And so we met them in front. They, they had just come right outside the store. We were just outside the glass doors, the sliding doors of the Target. And we were greeting them and talking to them for a few minutes. And then right behind them, I started seeing a commotion. The store security guard was trying to stop a shoplifter who was trying to steal something and get out of the store with it. And this big, this big security guard had just wrapped him. And my first reaction was to get between the situation and my family. So I started doing that. I started moving towards the situation. And then I had this sudden urge to help. And as I was moving towards them, the guy threw the, uh, the item that he had and the store security guard just let him go. Just open up his hands and let him go. And the guy didn't run. The guy just walked. And I'm thinking, and he just walked right past me because I'm moving towards him. And I asked the security guard, like, I was, I was trying to say, do you need a hand? And, and then, because it all happened so fast. Like, am I on camera? Is this real? What's ha-? And then I had this thought, I'll run after him. <laughs> I didn't do it, but I had the thought. Now I'm a pastor, it probably wouldn't have went well if that all blew up and, and, and didn't go well. Now, it's not that there's not a good reason to step in in those types of situations, but why didn't I run after him? The reason I didn't run after him is because my brain kicked in. My adrenaline was what happened first. And sometimes when these things happen, your adrenaline kicks in and you just react to try to help the situation. But in this situation, by that point, my brain kicked in and it was like, you don't know if this guy has a weapon. There, there, there was no one being threatened. The guy had thrown this thing on the ground. And as much as I wanted to be hero at that point, the fear of those very real consequences was stronger than my desire to chase this guy down and make him pay to prove a point. Now, is that a bad fear? No, it's a really, it's a good fear. I'm grateful that that kicked in. It might have saved me major injury or, or worse. Now, fear, get this, fear more than anything else is what sets the boundaries for our life and protects us. More than anything else, fear is what sets the boundaries of our lives and protects us. Fear tells you what is real. The problem is this. Our internal fear meter can give off false readings all the time. So we can get scared about something in a way that we shouldn't really be scared about it. And it can freeze us in fear. 
Or we can be oblivious in the face of real danger and walk ourselves right into a trap. And in order to really reduce this, this, these false readings of our internal fear meter, we need to regularly calibrate or make sure that our fear meter is tied to two dimensions of reality. The first dimension of reality is this. It's the physical world. It's the physical dimension. We need to have an accurate read on the real dangers that exist in this world. We need this. You need this. This will protect us from harm if we know and have an accurate idea of what's going on in the physical realm around us. This is the fear that keeps you from driving on the wrong side of the road. Having an accurate view of the physical dimension. This is the fear that keeps you from stepping off of buildings like you see superheroes do on movies. Is you have an accurate view of, of the physical dimension. This is the fear that keeps you from showing up to work when you want to show up to work and not when you're supposed to show up and when your boss tells you to show up. This is a good fear. Now there's another dimension of fear and it's this. It's, this, it's the spiritual dimension. We believe that the physical dimension is real, and we, we, we recognize that and stay in bounds of that. But this is the question mark for many of us. Is the spiritual dimension real? This is the dimension that, that is increasingly missing from modern life. Our knowledge of the physical world just keeps growing and growing, and it's allowed us to make a safer world. But the knowledge of the God who made this world is totally vanishing all around us. And the result is that our internal fear... It doesn't kick in the fear of God. And so our pain keeps rising as we ignore the dangers that God has warned us about. These dangers that can do tremendous, can bring tremendous pain to ourselves and to others. So in order to gain wisdom, the Bible talks about how a person must have a real, a certain kind of relationship with the God of the Bible. Sin keeps us at a distance from Him. Because, because of our sin, we must be forgiven from that. And only Jesus can forgive you of your sin. Without this second dimension, then our internal fear meter, it'll just be off. And then pain will just keep following. And I want to help us understand this in another way. When children are, are born, they're totally naive to the dangers of the world, aren't they? You see this all the time with kids and you're like, they don't, they don't realize they're in harm's way right now. They have no fear of traffic, no fear of strangers, no fear of poison, no fear of electricity. This lack of fear keeps children very vulnerable and it's up to parents to teach them appropriate fear. And we've all seen a young child bolting out into a parking lot and then seeing a frantic mother behind them trying to catch them, pursuing them. Why do kids do that? Well, it's because all they really see is what's right in front of them. They see one-dimensionally. They just see one-dimensionally. They don't know about looking both ways if a car is coming. And so again and again, you see a parent getting down on their level, holding their little kid's hand and saying, look over there. Got to look that way and see if anything's coming. And then they say, now let's look over there. Now you try it. And the little kid looks over there. And the little kid looks over there. And they're, they're training them to see both ways. This, they're trying to make them aware of there's one, there's more than one dimension. Now, here's the problem. We tend in life to be like those kids. We charge off in life straight ahead, but never looking up. We ignore the spiritual dimension many times. We only deal with what we can see. And we don't look both ways as we move forward and we miss seeing this most critical dimension, the God dimension. Because the physical dimension is, we, we would say, well, that's the real world. 
I can see it. But that honestly is just a part of what is real. God not only created the laws that govern and run the physical dimension, but he also created the laws that run the invisible spiritual dimension as well. And you and I, we live in both the physical dimension and the spiritual dimension. And so if we limit our lives to only the physical dimension, then it's like we're running out into traffic only looking one way. And that is the source of so much of our pain, is we don't look up. Now, we're, we're kind of like Americans who are walking down the streets in London. Or in some other country where the traffic, where people are driving on the other side of the road. Here we drive on the right side of the road, but in other places they drive on the left side of the road. And on the curbs in London, they have been kind enough to print signs for us Look right. So as you're coming up to a street, it, it can say look right. And the reason is it's because probably for us Americans that head there and are so used to looking left before stepping into traffic, not realizing that cars are coming this direction. The Bible is actually God's look right sign for us. Most will look only in fear to the physical world, but you know, and because of that, people just keep stepping out into traffic only looking one way. So what are you afraid of in life? Are you afraid of finances and your financial future? If, if, if you aren't concerned about that, you might be naive. Are you afraid of your kids' health and their future? If, if you're not concerned, you may not be you know, realistically looking at the trend of our culture and the direction we're going in as a world. Do you fear cancer? Hey, have, have you read the statistics? If you're, if you're afraid of all of these different issues, it's because, it's because of our brains. We have a brain. Now, what do we do with, with those fears? Well, we tend to try to address them physically. We work harder. We try to be a better parent. We try to eat organic, and we try to exercise. But the fear doesn't, it doesn't change. And it's because if your fear goes no further than only the physical dimension, you have no real solution for fear. And you would think by just adding another dimension, a second dimension of fear to your life, that it would increase fear, right? We, why would I want to add in this God dimension? And I, I've got enough to worry about in the physical dimension. You're saying I should fear God and take Him seriously? That actually seems like a horrible idea. I don't need more fear. But in reality, you learn that the fear of the Lord reduces. It gives you a different way to approach fear. The reason is that it's because the God dimension open, opens up an entirely new realm of help. You don't have to do life on your own. So how can we expand from one dimension to two? Let's say this. Obedience is the only way. Taking God seriously. Obeying Him. Pick an area in life and start obeying God. Every time you obey God, you increase your respect and your fear of Him. The result is a reduction of fear because God Himself is real. And we ourselves, we're typically pretty open to the helping part of the God dimension, but we're not that open to the obedience part of the God dimension. Wouldn't you agree? I'm pretty open to God's help, but I'm not that open to obeying God, naturally. But that's kind of like saying, you know, I'm open to this dimension, but not this dimension. It's kind of like saying, I'm open to the idea of width, but I'm not open to the idea of height or length. Those are real dimensions. We don't 
perceive God's help as real because we don't often perceive His words as real. We get so hung up on the physical dimension only. And if the God dimension is not enough to alter your behavior, then it's not going to be real enough to help you handle fear in life and to really move forward. It's not going to function like a a true life hack in your own world if it's not real to you. But since God is real, we obey Him. If you're a Christ follower, you're trying to obey Him. You believe God is real. And the Bible connects obedience to this concept in the Old Testament called the fear of the Lord. In other words, taking God seriously. So good fear not only tells us what is real, but also it tells us this. Good fear tells us what really matters. This is on the back of your listening guide. No, it's at the bottom of your listening guide. When I, when I first started having kids, I picked up three new fears in my life. They have names. <laughs> it is their names. <laughs> now, the reason why I fear is because these three, they matter a great deal to me. So when one of them gets sick and we go to the doctor and the doctor said, I don't know what's wrong. We've had that happen. We had that happen last year with my daughter. We don't know what's wrong with her. We're going to run some tests. And, you know, when that happens, I feel very real fear because I love my kids. Now, every parent knows this fear. And when it comes to my kids, my fear meter, I would say, is pretty, it's pretty spot on. It's pretty accurate. I try to keep it pretty accurate. Uh, but my fear meter can also give me bad readings at times about what really matters. For example, if I, have an argue, if I have an argument with someone, let's say I have an argument with my wife, in that moment, my fear meter may tell me that proving my point is more important to me than my wife. But that's, that's just not true. Or I can fear what people think about me or what people might say about me to the point to where I might hold back and not say to them what I need to say or do what I need to do in that moment because maybe my fear meter is telling me what matters most is what people think of you and when it really doesn't. So there really are only two ways to determine what matters most. The first is this. It's trial and error. We know trial and error well. Basically, trial and error is you decide what matters most. You pursue it. You, you see if it works. Trial and error is often how we live our lives. But the second is this. It's you take God's word for it. And you begin to order your life around what, what he says matters most. In all your ways, the scripture says, acknowledge him. Now, very few of us are wise enough to take God's words seriously. We often do, number one, trial and error. The problem is with the pr- first approach is life can be extremely painful when you just live by trial and error. Now, the person who wrote down all these life hacks that we're going to be looking at in this series, his name is King Solomon. He learned wisdom the hard way. He took option one, trial and error. The book of Proverbs, it's, it's a summary of God's wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes is more like a journal of Solomon's life and his pursuits. And he kind of lays out the school of hard knocks. Now, Solomon was a man who had it all. He was internationally famous, so people would come and visit him, and they want to listen to him talk because he had, uh, he had an insight that others didn't have. He also had tremendous wealth. People have done studies on King Solomon's life and what it would look like today. And they say of Solomon that today, if he were alive, he would have an annual income of $1 billion and he would have holdings of $100 billion, more richer than anyone else. And he was the king, and so he wouldn't have to pay what? No taxes. <laughs> he's got all this money, and he's the king. No one could block his goals. 
God had given Solomon wisdom, and he knew what God said, but he still decided to do trial and error. And he wrote it down. Ecclesiastes is his book about this. Ecclesiastes 2 is kind of like his journal. And here's some things that he tried out. And you can take God's word for it, or you can do the trial and error approach as well. Solomon, he went after pleasure. He's a man who denied himself nothing. If it felt good, he did it. He focused on just pleasing himself and going after his own desires. He had wealth. He was trying to see if that would satisfy him. He amassed great amounts of money. He had all these huge reserves. He would build parks and roads and palaces. It was just, it was amazing. And, you know, they talk about these being the ancient wonders of the, the ancient world. This is, this is, Solomon was at, at the top of all that. Success. He was so successful, it brought all sorts of attention his way. But his conclusions are really interesting in this book. Look at Ecclesiastes 2.22. And 23. Solomon writes, What does a man get for all of the toil and the anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. His result for trial and error is this. Meaningless. When we, when we live in the physical dimension and focus only there, and do what makes sense to us. Solomon says it's, it's a dead end. These things that Solomon tried out and had all of that he wanted, they, they weren't enough. They don't. He's saying these did not matter as much as they thought they would. And so here is the billionaire's final conclusion on how to live the very best life. Here it is. Ecclesiastes 2, 12, verse 13. All has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Solomon writes, Fear God. In other words, take God seriously. Fear God and keep His commandments. Fear God and obey Him. For this is the whole duty of man. What Solomon is saying is this. Solomon is saying, look, I'm going to save you a lot of time and a lot of money. Solomon is saying, what really matters most is doing what is right in God's eyes. That's the core issue. Do what's right. Both now and... And in the end, it won't matter how much money you have or how much position you have. It won't matter your accomplishments or how many people were impressed with you. Your entire duty comes down to this. What does God want me to do right now? Take God seriously. What does He want me to do right now? You can't change the past. You can't control what people say about you or do to you. You can't protect yourself from every danger in life, but you can do this. You can take God seriously. You can take Him at His Word, believing with all of your heart that His Word is real. It's not just true, but it's real. And if your fear meter is off, what we've learned this morning is if your fear meter is off, then your path will be anything but straight in life. You'll just keep hitting the same dead ends. But... God wants you to be running towards the right things. Oftentimes, we'll be running towards what He doesn't want and failing to run towards the things that will really help us move forward in life. So, this is the most important of the life hacks that we're going to look at in this, these series. It's the first one, but it is the most important one. It's this. It's make God and make His ways the true north, the magnetic north of your life compass. Take, take God seriously. Let, let's look at these final next steps. Memorizing... Uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then second, begin each day with prayer. 
Beginning each day with prayer is kind of like you're looking both ways. You're not just heading out into the street. You're looking both ways. You're looking at the physical dimension and you're looking at the spiritual dimension. And you're asking God to interact with you in these areas. That's that's why we pray. And then last, take take a step of obedience. I'd encourage you to take the step that you sense God wants you to take this morning. So let, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. And it's been good to just gather together with this new group. We pray that you'd uh, really continue to connect us across this service, Lord. Thank you for your word, your truth, and the help that you've offered us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.